Amen. What a glorious song about the angels singing glory unto God, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. You see, there's a great proclamation given in, on January 1st of 1863. Uh, during that day, on that year, at the time, President Abraham Lincoln gave one of the greatest proclamations in human history, which was the Emancipation Proclamation. And by giving that uh, proclamation, by issuing it, in essence, all of the slaves of the southern states were freed at that moment, legally. What a great proclamation that was, the Emancipation Proclamation. But today, as we look at Luke chapter 2, and we see these angels speaking and giving a proclamation, and in turn, those that they gave the proclamation to later in the chapter, turning right around the shepherds and proclaiming this good news unto all they know, we see a far greater proclamation. You see, it was a proclamation as great as the Emancipation Proclamation was. It was a greater proclamation, a proclamation of emancipation from a different type of slavery. A slavery, a freedom from sin, and a freedom from death. So beginning in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, these familiar words that we know during this season. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world, that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, very important for this royal lineage of this one Jesus who would come to save the world, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, The days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. And then our focal passage today, these wonderful words that we see here in verses 8 through 14. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You see, as we look at this today, and as we walk through this wonderful passage of this great proclamation of salvation that is coming to the world through this one Jesus Christ. There are several things that we want to see today as we walk through it. The very first thing that we want to see and we want to look at and highlight are the messengers. Not only the messengers of the proclamation given from God, the angels, but specifically as we look at these shepherds. But look first, it says here in in verse 8 of chapter 2. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in their fields 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I'd say so, if you can imagine that, an angel appearing before you. You see, this, this angel that stood before them wasn't this sort of kind of little, you know, chunky little cherub boy that we get a picture, you know, playing a harp, you know, kind of strumming a harp and a diaper, right? That's, the, you know, this kind of secular picture that we get. And I guess it dates back, who knows where it comes from, maybe the Renaissance paintings, who knows where we get that. But an angel of the Lord is an incredibly powerful being that he himself is a representation of the limitless power of God. So if you could put yourself in that scene, in that setting, if you can kind of in your mind's eye go to that place, put yourself in the shoes of one of those shepherds. You're just minding your own business. You're doing your job. It's peaceful. It's at night. They're out with their sheep in the fields. They're just watching their sheep. You know, if nothing's going wrong, if everything's good, they just let the sheep graze. You know, if it was 2016, we'd probably be out there sipping our coffee. We might be checking our phone for something, checking the weather updates. But whatever they were doing in the first century, it was unexpected what was about to happen. And then suddenly, there is this angelic being, this messenger from God, this incredibly powerful being that it again is a representation of the limitless power of God stands before them. Stands before them and it says later in the verse that they were greatly afraid. Not only did the angel appear to them, but it says, and the glory of the Lord shown around them the glory of the lord was present with them you know i couldn't help but think as i was studying this passage of isaiah chapter 6 many of us know this familiar passage you can turn with me if you want to you can listen along if you'd like but we're going to read some of this great passage in isaiah chapter 6 isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 it says that in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord this is isaiah of course speaking sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it there stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With one he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. These incredible beings. And one cried to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So all that he could do in the presence of the Lord, in stark reality, in that moment, he realized that I am unclean, I am undone, I am not fit to see what I'm seeing here. I'm not fit for whatever it is. For whatever reason, I am standing in the presence of the Lord. Whatever this calling is, I'm unfit for it. What a great place to be when we have a calling of God, when he calls us, as he has called us, to be messengers of this great proclamation of the king who has come. Then one of the seraphim, verse 6, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it, this picture of purity here. Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sins are purged. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, verse 8, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell the people. 
You see, an angel of the Lord stood before these shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And in in the same way, undoubtedly, that Isaiah was struck by this power and magnificence of God, so they too were trembling. What is this about? What is this about? You see, they were commissioned messengers. They were to be messengers commissioned by these angelic messengers. They were messengers commissioned to take this good news, this good news. You know, and it says, in fact, that not only did an angel appear and the glory of the Lord shone around them, but it said they were greatly afraid. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I'd imagine so. If you see this angelic being standing before you, just kind of the peace of your night is broken open by this angel standing before you and the glory of the Lord surrounding you. And it says they were greatly afraid. However, this is the thing that we have to understand as we think about the angelic messengers giving this message to the the shepherds. And, and, And by principle, we being the same messengers of this glory of God and this message of the gospel just as they were, here's the thing we have to remember, just as Isaiah was, that same glory, that same glory that produced trembling, later, later produced boldness. You see, we're not going to focus on it specifically today. But in verse 20 of chapter 2, it's amazing when you see, it says this, that they went out. They went out, but Mary kept all these things to herself, it says in verse 19. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. You see, the same fear that at this moment brought trembling, later brought boldness. You see, in the same way, The glory of God isn't limited in our day. It's not as though in the year 2016 or in subsequent time after the the, the good news of the message that was first preached, uh, somehow the the arm of the Lord has been shortened. Of course, Numbers tells us that, in fact, is not the case. It's not as though the glory of the Lord is some sort of different glory. That same glory that, that, that was manifested to Isaiah, that same glory that was manifested to these shepherds, is the same sort of glory that we are called to live for and we are called to, to, to focus our entire life on living for the glory of God. And we have his very presence in our life. So not only do we see the, the messengers of this message, but in verse 10 we see the message itself. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Good tidings. We can't help but think of the good message, the good news, the gospel. You see, this good news of the redemptive history of God that has been happening and has been rolling out all through the words of Scripture up until this moment in the advent of Jesus Christ and his time later to go to the cross and to die for our sins, this redemptive history that is rolling out, beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. You see, good news often starts with good news that becomes bad news that becomes good news again in any great story, and this is the truest story of all. You see, we know that God created all mankind in his image, but we see in Genesis chapter 3 that our ancestors, Adam and Eve, fell into sin, and we too participate in sin. The Bible tells us all, every man, woman, and child who has ever lived has sinned, and it started, this disease began to infect us all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. But towards the middle of that chapter, we see that not only was there separation from God, but we see the beginning of God's redemptive history. 
You want a wonderful, you want a kind of a cool word to impress your friends during this Christmas season at Christmas parties? How about this one? The Proto-Evangelium. How about that? Proto-Evangelium. Really what it means is it's the first giving of the gospel, the first giving of the good news. We see it all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And, it, and God says, after it had been separated, God is addressing Satan who peer, appeared in the form of a servant who was pushing the, the buttons of human frailty and led them down to the path of sin. And God is speaking to Satan and he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, capital S, speaking of Jesus Christ, who would be the Messiah, who would one day come as we are celebrating as a man. He shall bruise your head, and he, you shall bruise his heel. You see, it spoke of the fact that, yes, Jesus Christ would be bruised. He would die for our sins. He would give his life for our sins, but in that he would set us free he would set us free from all that satan represented the power of sin and death the first giving of the gospel you see that is the good tidings though that was the good news that this long-awaited messiah he has come good tidings of great joy which are to all people joy is so important in the life of a christian you see joy is our calling card to the lost world why do we think that Satan at every turn in our life tries to thwart us and tries to, to, to stifle our joy? It is our calling card in the world. You see, joy from, from God's understanding, joys from a, joy from a biblical understanding isn't fleeting pleasure. It isn't fleeting happiness that's kind of based on the circumstances of life. So if things are going well for me, then I'm happy. If things are going well for me, then it's a pleasurable life. Joy is deeper seated than that. It is anchored to the rock of the person of Jesus Christ so that when the wind and the waves of trouble in life begin to buffet us, we stand strong in the midst of it. You see, very careful to say that the life of a Christian isn't a trouble-free life. It isn't a problem-free life. But no, in the midst of our struggles and our trial and our pain, we have a God who brings us joy. Not fleeting happiness, but joy and peace that is anchored to the person of Jesus Christ. Good tidings of great joy, and it says, to all people. To all people. All the peoples of the world. You see, just a few chapters later in the book of Genesis, as God continues to roll out his redemptive history, he makes a great promise to one of the greatest characters in all of, of Scripture, one of the greatest men in, in all of biblical history, the Abraham. And he says to him, your generation, your, um, your descendants will be like the sand on the seashore. They will be like the stars in the heaven. There will be so many of them. You see, and he wasn't just speaking of his physical descendants, the Hebrew people. He was speaking of his spiritual descendants, all those who call upon God as their father. In the midst of this, he says in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 12, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in, in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, these good tidings of great joy aren't just for the select few, but they are for all peoples. It is for all nations, all people. And we look ahead into the book of Revelation, and we see there in Revelation chapter 7, gathered around the throne of God, every tribe and every tongue, representatives from every ethne, every nation, every people group of the world, crying out and singing glory to God, saying he is holy, 
He is holy. You see, Psalms 96.3 tells us, as individual believers, as a church, calls us to do this. It says that we are to declare the glory of God among all peoples, his wonders among the nations. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. This good tiding of great joy, which is to all people, not only the messengers, not only the message, but we see the mystery of this message. Verse 11 through 12, it says this, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find this babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. You see, one of the two places that we see in the Gospels, the four Gospels, the use of Savior, one of those is right here. And this Savior is the Christ, a Greek equivalent of the, of, of the Messiah, the one who has promised long ago, the one who their hearts had been waiting for to save them. The Savior who is Christ the Lord an understanding of the covenant name of God that spoke to this Savior, this Messiah. He wasn't just a great man. He was the God-man, the Savior. You know, the surest bet in all of cinema right now is a superhero movie, right? You can just roll out about any superhero movie you want to. You can throw money at it, and it will make money. I mean, there was a movie about Ant-Man that made money, about a man who is an ant that can shrink, you know, and then he can, you know, he can shrink and he can come back. There was a movie about Ant-Man. It's the surest bet in all of cinema. And I think it speaks to a deep need and a deep understanding of mankind that we know that we are lost intrinsically. We know that there's something missing and we know that there is a need beyond ourselves, some sort of a superhero, some sort of a superman, if you will. See, but here's the thing. When we think of our superhero here, it is a veiled superhero. It is the most powerful of all superheroes. It is God on earth. He is God on earth, but he is veiled. Veiled. Philippians chapter 2 speaks to this great servant, this, this great servant heart, this great servanthood of the person of Jesus Christ who came as a servant. The limitless God limited by human flesh, but yet he came as a servant. You see in verse 12 it says, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger you know one of the first skills you learn as a parent in the hospital is how to wrap a baby correctly right you at least the way i learned it is that you lay your blanket out like this if you imagine a corner up here a corner down here and a corner here and a corner here and you lay the baby's head in one corner the baby's feet in the other corner obviously because you can't bend their feet like this right so baby's head baby's feet now here's the one thing i didn't understand why, if they were teaching us to lay a baby's head here and a baby's head here, did they give us a rectangular blanket? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you learned how to do it, they, it's like a rectangular. Why didn't they give us a square blanket so it would be like perfect, the other two, you know, the two other corners lined up? So you lay the baby's head here, the baby's feet here, you wrap the baby's, the, the, this corner over the baby's feet, then you wrap this corner, you tuck it into their, you know, you tuck it into their arm, you know, so you get this nice tuck right here, then you wrap the other corner all the way around and you tuck it in behind to keep them nice and tight right? Why do we do that? We keep them nice and tight to keep them warm, to keep them safe, because they're so frail. They're so frail. You think about that. Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world, came in frail human flesh. The limitless God, limited by, the, by human frailty, 
The Bible says he is the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. The owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. Born into a simple livestock barn. The one who plants thousands of trees upon those thousands of hills is now laying in a simple wooden feed trough. What incredible, what an incredible way to save us. Emmanuel, God with us. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. This incredible mind of servanthood. What a great mystery. You see, we're called to be messengers of this great message, this message that is an incredible mystery, but it's the most wonderful mystery revealed to mankind, and it comes with, fourthly, incredible magnitude. Verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude, that same angel, now there was a multitude of heavenly hosts. The sky, the night sky broke open, and there was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Glory to God in the highest. Everything that God did was for his glory. Everything that we are called to do as a church and as individuals, as believers in Jesus Christ, are for, all of it is for the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. You know, the U.S. Peace Institute recorded 129 peace treaties, peace summits, and significant other um, uh, issues of peace that happened within the 20th century. And many of you look at that and say, well, that's great. 129 times that we've called for peace, had major peace treaties, peace accords, something like that. But it, that's one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it is we had in one century 129 major worldwide events and needs for peace. Not to speak to all the centuries of human history before that. Not to mention a peace that still does not exist in our world. You see, the only hope for true peace in our world is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only hope for peace in your life, in your life, is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible paints a picture in Romans chapter 5 that when we are separated from God, it's not as though we're just kind of moseying along through life, but it says that this gracious God who has extended salvation unto us, we have put enmity between ourselves and God because he has graciously extended salvation through the person of Jesus. So there's enmity between us. Not only that, but we, that, that sort of lack of peace manifests itself in our life. There's a great need for peace. Glory to God in the highest peace. And on earth, goodwill towards all men. You see, peace in our world only comes through this message of the good news. That goodwill message, that good news, those good tidings of the gospel message. See, here's how I want to end it today. I want to ask you that very question about peace. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Matt and Nancy to come back up as we enter into this time of response and invitation. I want to ask you that question about peace. Are you here today and you are lacking peace in your life? And most importantly, are you lacking that peace that God promises us between us and him? That peace that only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through that good news, those good tidings, the goodwill towards all men. You see, when we think of the gospel, it is good news. 
And oftentimes, as I mentioned earlier in the, in the message, when we think of good news or a story that has a wonderful ending, oftentimes it starts good, then we have a period in this story that, that becomes very difficult, and then it's good news again. You see, there's no difference in the truthful account of human history. The good news is, began with the fact that we knew, or we were created in the image of God. However, because of sin, we were separated from a holy God. It's not because God's mean or ugly or, you know, kind of wants to punish us. It's because he is a holy, perfect, and pure God who is righteous. The Bible tells us that no one is righteous, not even one, Romans 3.10. In fact, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death in in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. What we earn because of our sin, every, every person who has walked the face of this earth, is death, eternal separation from God. Not eternal existence with God in a glorious place called heaven, but eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's not very good news. But here's the wonderful thing about the second part of that verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, wow. Wonderful gift. When we think about gift giving at the time, this time of the year, as we think about the greatest gift ever given, we think about that gift and say, well, what do I do? How do I, how do I earn this gift? What do I need to do to make myself right with God and get this gift? And right there, we're missing it. See, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we need to do. There's nothing we could do. There's no way that we could be a good enough per- person and do enough good things to please a holy God and to live up to a standard of perfection. But here's the wonderful thing. God demonstrates his own love towards us, Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, not after we've kind of figured things out, cleaned our lives up, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's nothing we can do. It's all been done by Jesus Christ already. But just like any good gift, you say, well, we must accept it. We must take it. It's ours when we take it. It's by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, It's a gift of God so that no one would boast. There's nothing we do to earn it. We take it. We receive it. Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 that we must repent and believe. We must turn away from our life as we're saying, I'm fine. I'm living my life. I can save myself. Things are good. We turn away and we say, I'm turning towards you, Jesus. I'm believing in you as my Savior and Lord. The Bible also tells us anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. During this Christmas season, as we think about that greatest gift ever given of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come to earth ultimately to free us from our sins with his death on the cross. If you're here today and you don't know him as your Savior, If you've never given your life to him, you've never repented and believed in him as Savior, why not today? Why not today? So here in just a few moments, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. And as we do, we'd like for you to respond in a couple of ways to how the Lord may have been speaking to you in the midst of this message. Maybe God's been speaking to you for a number of days, weeks, months, years even. We'd like for, for you to respond in a couple of ways. One would be if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, would today be that day that you do that? Maybe you're here today, you know Christ is your Savior, but you need a church home. Let me tell you, this is a wonderful church home, wonderful church family. 
in which you'll be loved and cared for, find your place to serve, and find your place to be a servant and love for and care for others. But again, if you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, what about today? May today be your day of salvation. As we stand and we sing, you come. Amen.